I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Welcome back to another episode of Multilingual Mamas. Today we have with us another multilingual mama, Malvina Mudoska, a writer, journalist, and PhD student in applied linguistics. She's also a bilingual speaker of English and Polish who grew up in Canada, where she attended a French immersion school. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so can you tell us in your own words a little bit about you and your language background? Um, what languages you spoke growing up and then how you learned your other languages, how you ended up in London. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I was four when we immigrated um, from Canada. Actually, we spent a year in Sweden. So we, I was three. Um, my parents and I moved to Sweden for a year. So I did actually apparently speak Swedish um, when I was there, but I don't remember a word of it. Uh, and then we left when I was four for Canada. So where I grew up, and um, both my parents are Polish, so we spoke Polish in the home always, um, and English kind of in the community, although we had a very supportive Polish community, there was a, a lot of immigrants at the time that we spent a lot of time with, so I spent, uh, you know, it felt like extended family as well, and then um, I learned English fairly quickly, my mom uh, tells me, and then uh, they sent me to, my parents sent me to a French immersion school after that, when I was six. Um, and so French immersion um, went through all the way actually through um, elementary school and high school. So where I grew up, you had the option of continuing through to high school if you wanted to do the French immersion program. And there was a few of us that did. Um, and uh, yeah, and I lived in Canada um, throughout kind of, you know, my 20s, spent some time in Australia. I did try to pick up Spanish as well um, at university, but uh, it wasn't as, uh, as, I shouldn't say easy, but it was more challenging. So um, I kind of a little bit gave up on that, which I'm, I always regret maybe one day. And um, eight years ago, um, coming up nine years ago, um, my husband and I just wanted a change. And, um, and because uh, at the time, of course, the UK was in the EU. So um, we could come live in the UK. We were only supposed to come for one year and it's coming up nine years now. So, so yeah, so that's how we ended up here. Um, he's also Canadian, so we talk about potentially coming, going back to Canada at some point, but we'll see. Are your parents uh, in London as well? Or? In Canada, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so my parents stayed, um, I grew up in a city in the prairies, so it's called Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan's a province, Saskatoon is a city, not many people know about it, uh, but uh, <laughs> they're still there, and I have extended family in Poland. So tell us a little bit about your family members. You mentioned that your husband's Canadian as well. Uh, does he only speak um, English? He does, yeah. Um, he, to be fair though, um, he would want me to tell you that he's definitely on Duolingo a lot. So he was, uh, he's, he does French and a Polish Duolingo, which is great. Um, but he did grow up in a monolingual home and, and as well in a school, um, English. Um, and we have two children, uh, a six-year-old and our daughter just turned four a couple of days ago. Um, so they were both born in the UK. And I have been speaking to them in Polish since they were both born. So we do try to follow um, the one language, uh, one parent, as much as we can, because uh, my husband and I interact in English together. Mm -hmm. um, I will try to translate at times, uh, you know, various little techniques here and there, but um, I try to speak only Polish with them. And um, there's no French in the home formally? 
so funny you should say that. So I just the other day I said to my husband, I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to start doing the French because, um, you know, I feel like their Polish is, I mean, we need to work at it all the time. But um, I want to do, I really want to introduce French. My son is going to be seven in May, and so um, I started to try to kind of do a little bit of French vocabulary. But again, it's a little bit challenging when you're trying to do the Polish and the French yourself. Um, and uh, we do have a little bit of a Polish community. So we try to interact with other Polish families. Um, they, they watch cartoons in Polish and that sort of thing. But I'm trying to be um, more proactive with the French. Although my younger daughter, she's quite um, keen, much more keen than my son. Um, so she was mixing some Polish and French the other day, which was a bit exciting. And right now you would say your two kids are bilingual in Polish and English? I will, yes, they are bilingual. However, English is absolutely their dominant language. Mm -hmm. um, they are really good at trying and they, they know it's important to me. I think they're at an age where, especially my son, I can have discussions with him that, you know, this is really important to me. Um, you know, my parents speak in Bacchanja that could call my parents um, and you're from, you know, I was born in Poland. And so he he's really great at that. He kind of gets it. So he does really try. Um, I do find that he's starting to get to an age where he's worried about making mistakes. Yeah. And so it kind of makes him feel like he doesn't really. And so we talk about how it's absolutely OK to insert English words whenever he has to. Um, and just to think about it, and I, I, I'm very patient. I try to just let him, you know, it's, it's hard because it's busy life, but you just, if he needs to say a sentence really slowly, absolutely try to encourage that. So um, bilingual, but definitely dominant English. Wonderful. I'm curious, since you're in London right now, have you been able to visit Poland? We have. Um, so the last time we went was with my daughter, it was, uh, it was a Christmas time, so she would have been about six or seven months. Um, yeah, she was she's on March birthday. So uh, that was the last time. And we had hoped to go again. We had missed a year because we were, went to Italy for a vacation. So we didn't go that year. And uh, and then, of course, the pandemic hit. So we haven't been anywhere. Um, not We haven't been to Canada, actually, for the last two years and not Poland either, which would absolutely help, I think, or would... Mm. Yeah, especially now the age that he's at would be much, you know, it would be a fantastic way to really encourage him in the culture and see how it is at a, in a place where everybody speaks Polish. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And I think that would take some of the pressure off you once you're able to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. We're very lucky in London in that um, our local coffee shop is all staffed by young Polish um, well, baristas. Wow. It's amazing. So we all would befriended them all. And just so we go to, you know, the coffee shop and we see hi to all our favorite people that work there. We actually have a Polish shop not far from us where we go every week to get um, uh, ponczki, which are Polish donuts. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to create a little community as much as I can um, in London of kind of Polish references uh, around us. That's nice. So um, I was lucky enough to stumble upon the article that you wrote, the one that title A Mother's Song, The Complexity of Raising Multilingual Children. And I, and I loved it because um, you talk about something that many of us have experienced, but we have not yet covered it, covered it um, well in our podcast, I would say. Um, so you, could you tell us about what are some of the difficulties that you have experienced raising your children bilingual? And then do you expect this experience to be different than what it has so far? 
Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that and it comes up in my research a lot is the whole expectation versus reality. Mm-hmm. And I see it all the time in multilingual parenting groups online. Um, it's something that's such a common thing. So yeah, I wrote that article. I don't think my daughter was born yet. Um, my son started speaking and we were trying to really kind of encourage this is very early on, so his vocabulary, and I started to really feel, and for me to, um, because I was socialized, so because I grew up in Canada, English is my dominant language as well. I'm fluent in Polish, and I can read and write thankfully, because my parents really made sure, um, but I think in English, um, even though often people say first language, mother tongue is your emotional language, it totally depends, I think, if you grew up in a different speaking um, in a different language, because my emotional language is absolutely English. Um, and so I, I started feeling like I was a different parent in a different language. And it wasn't so much that it wasn't that I, my personality changed or anything like that while I was parenting, but I had a hard time expressing certain things that come up with parenting. Mm-hmm. So I think parenting in general is a very highly emotional role. <laughs> and, and you throw in that mix of um, stumbling upon things like, you know, when I was, especially discipline, discipline was something that I found quite hard, like I didn't know how to connect or how to explain things, especially now when my son's a bit older, um, uh, that is a challenging, so I, when I wrote that article, I remember just, I felt an incredible frustration, and I, and I heard a lot of people saying the same thing, a lot of other mothers, that, you know, I, I, I did expect it to be easier, not that I thought it was going to be easy because I knew linguistics, I knew how language acquisition takes place and that sort of thing. But um, but I did think that it would. I thought it wouldn't be as challenging emotionally as as it started to be when my son started speaking, especially when he was a baby. It was kind of introduction to it all um, for him and for me. But you know, he wasn't speaking back yet. Um, so it was a much more, uh, you know, uh, a bit softer and easier. But as soon as he kind of started, you know, and he had a great Polish vocabulary. It wasn't even that. It was just I found myself getting quite anxious about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's common for kind of second generation speakers. We talked when we talked to Jason, he and Stella described similar experiences of kind of having to relearn some of some Korean vocabulary and things that you mentioned in the article. That's right. I do. I, I, I'm trying to kind of, I should have probably read it before uh, just a refresher, but yeah, like there, um, he was really into trucks. Uh, that, that's yeah. what part I think in the article and I have no idea how to say <laughs> crane truck or how to say certain things. Um, and I, I think, I don't know if I'm, I, I can't remember now if that was in the article, but it was something with marshmallows as well. And I had to yeah, ask my little mom, and my mom's like, we don't have marshmallows yeah. <laughs> in Poland or whatever. <laughs> She's like, so um, uh, absolutely, you have to relearn or learn things that didn't come up in your childhood. If it makes you feel any better, I felt initially like it had to do with you being a second generation in a way. Yeah. That's harder because you already are dominant in English. But I am first generation and I'm struggling because there are things I've never used my life especially the trucks like what's with the boys and all the trucks and all the different kinds they want to know every single word and I, I'm just like I don't know that even though I grew up in Spain for 20 years as a oh, mom, wow I don't know I have to go back and, and check right interesting yeah every plant Victoria is like what's that I'm like I don't know plant same it's yeah. different plant other plant <laughs> totally <laughs> so, so yeah I did I wanted to ask you but I think maybe you answer that already it's you think it has to do with you already being second generation, right? 
having English as your emotional language, if that kind of added another layer of difficulty to this process, do you think that's the case? Absolutely, yeah, um, for sure, and, and and because you know, if it, it's interesting though, but because some, if you go through some of the literature and some of the research, um, sometimes it's actually the opposite. Where because if you were, for example, as a child in your childhood, even if you grew up in a in a in a minority language household. Um, if your parents disciplined you or if they showed you affection in certain languages, then you might be actually more connected to that language, even though it's mm -hmm. not your dominant language. So I think it absolutely depends um, where I, I really don't, to be fair, I don't remember. I mean, affection is quite, you know, for us, is quite, it's okay. I don't have a problem with that. But definitely with um, kind of more words like, you know, um, I call them kind of moral lessons. And I don't know, I can't remember how it was really if my parents told me things like that in Polish or um, or if it was just kind of just different a different child different parent-child relationship as well um, so yeah um, it's it's really interesting that it can go either way because I've talked to mothers that that are actually you know um, they feel more connected to their L1 even though their their LX we call it and, and my faculty is more stronger um, L2 L3 um, but and then I've talked to mothers who uh, like consciously choose not to do things like discipline in their mother tongues because they don't want a negative association mm -hmm. which I found really fascinating they would rather not their child have a very positive outlook on the minority language and so they actually discipline in the majority language which uh, I thought that was quite interesting mm -hmm. as well I'm curious to see if you have found something like um so for me, in my case, what I find is that uh, I, I discipline in my mother tongue and everything, but like, I feel like it doesn't fit to the culture I'm living in right now. Sometimes it's complicated. Like I want to say things and stuff, but they don't apply or my relationship with my kids are going to be different because of where I'm living right now, even though it's the same language that I got. Yeah. yeah and yeah. And I think, um, you know, you, you, you can read about certain like cultures, which obviously kind of are intertwined with language, um, where parents might be less keen to show affection, it's just not done in that culture of that language. Um, so that absolutely comes into play as well. And um, and yeah, the society that we're and, and peer group plays a huge part too, and it's so many external influences as well. So in the article, you say that um, parents raising multilingual children need a virtual therapist on hand. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, how, what made you feel that way? I love that. Um, so uh, I think this was something that came up with talking to other moms. Um, you know, we're very lucky that we have a lot of our friends here speak a second language at home um sometimes it's a bit easier for some of the moms because their partners speak it so if for mm -hmm. example if the home language which is it does make a difference obviously um because they have that support of a partner um where when i grew up it was i was the only one in my class that spoke a different language at home um than, than in there so london is great for that but it's something that um i was hearing a lot from other moms that you were just you started to feel like you needed um an outlet, hence the virtual um, therapist, was you need an outlet to show, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated or, you know, and again, parenting is a highly emotional endeavor, no matter what I think um, motherhood is. And so you add that other layer of like, okay, am I giving them enough of this language? Is my input enough? Mm -hmm. um, am I teaching them enough? Am I reading enough Polish stories every night? Um, and it started to be, you know, this idea of frustration and of course guilt, which I hate, you know, you, it's one of those things where you hate to admit it, but you know, it's another layer of guilt um, that comes up and something that I look at my, uh, 
at in my research because I find it quite um, interesting to look at where that guilt comes from, why, why do we feel that way, you know, in motherhood in general, but then in language maintenance and, and heritage language teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like this, if I had a therapist, I could maybe break it all down for a bit and be like, why am I feeling so guilty? And, and then frustration as well, because when they start speaking and if they're receptive bilinguals and they don't want to speak or they're just like, yeah. And then I find I have to be careful too, because if you're really frustrated um, about something completely different, I've caught myself being like, you know, you're saying something about, you know, cleaning up or something or being nice to your sister. And then you're like, and speak Polish to me. Don't speak English to me. And I'm like, why am I throwing that in there? Um, you know, that has nothing to do with this situation, but it's that built kind of, it builds up. It's the kind of frustration and the worry and the yeah. guilt that builds up. And, um, and I think that's why I, it would be handy to have a language therapist or something like that. There's a lot of pressure, I guess, on Absolutely. if you're the one parent providing language input that's exactly it yeah i i'm so glad that you're talking about these things because i think we all hold that but we don't talk about that and it's just so much more frustrating and harder i think to even parent when you have to do this as well you have really? decisions then you're always trying to balance whether this is the right decision for your kids and your family um and thank you for doing that and on that note, I know you mentioned on your article um, that your thesis is on multilingualism and empathy. Yes. Yeah. In that empathy component. How do you get interested in this? And how do you even measure empathy? Or how, how do you get people to talk about empathy in this context? Yeah, so that was my um, master's thesis now um, that I worked on. I think when my son was yeah quite little. Um, I, I was just, I, I was looking at theory of mind and, and, and cognitive uh, language and the cognitive, you know, as they say, benefits. Although, you know, as you both probably know, you know there's back and forth literature on all that. So, um, so if for my thesis, I didn't. It, I did a literature review, and that was mainly because I just I had a baby at the time, and I just didn't have a chance. And and I, I think I got pregnant with my daughter, so I just I was like, I can't do any experiments right now. So that which I would have loved to do more of the hands-on, but um, it was looking at. Uh, a lot of literature that had talked about the connection of theory, uh, theory of mind and and how children, bilingual children, um, can put themselves more easily into other people's situations. Um, how you know with uh, with bilingualism, it, you know there's so many components in multi and multiculturalism as well. And then that how does that then turn into them seeing that the world has many different facets and again, being able to, and I mean, there's inconclusive, of course, because um, again, it's very hard to measure empathy, absolutely. So, but in terms of kind of working from that standpoint of, of theory of mind and kids, um, bilingual kids, you know, acquiring it earlier and then being able to then put themselves in the position of other people, hence the empathetic um, side to it. So that's kind of how that worked. I, like I said, I would have loved to do studies if I could have or um, some um, more lab work or, and again how do you measure that exactly because it's then into the area of perceived empathy so people could say they're more empathetic than they really are mm -hmm. but I do think that there's something there um, absolutely. So, yeah it's important what you mentioned that multilingualism and multiculturalism are so intertwined that that plays an important role in developing empathy as well. Absolutely. So now that you're working on your PhD, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I feel like your your research. Is 
shifted a little bit. It has. Good job. Good job. Because being a mom and doing a PhD is not fun. Well, we we know that. about that, right? It's yeah. <laughs> not fun not being a mom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but um, I feel like your research has shifted a little bit and you're tapping more into emotionality and emotional communication. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, I, I was still very interested in early bilingualism and I kind of wanted to pursue it further in some degree. And so then I thought, why not look at motherhood? Um, and so I do look at family language po policy as a whole. Um, and the reason I kind of specify this is because this idea of motherhood has come up quite a few times where people are like, well, why aren't you looking at fathers? And why aren't you? And it's really interesting because it's, it's not that I don't, I, it's not, you know, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, but I'm, I'm much more interested in the mother-child relationships for a variety of reasons. From my own personal experience and, um, and, you know, kind of research, you know, with child-directed speech and how mothers, um, our primary caregivers often, not always, of course. Um, and so I wanted to see, instead of shift, looking at the child, I wanted to shift my focus on the mother. And I feel like this is something that is very much also beyond linguistics. Um, I read a lot of feminist theory and maternal thinking, like for sort of, you know, literature. And this idea of the child's well-being tends to often be seen as more important than the mother's well-being in a variety of areas and I find that in language as well again there's lots of literature about family language policy um, but I do feel like there is often a focus on how is a child doing um, and there's many awesome researchers that are also looking at you know at the whole family um, and uh, but I do feel like there's still uh, a need for more exploration of so if, you know, the mother is feeling quite emotional about something, then she's going to not be able to communicate certain things as well to the child. And then if you look at, you know, psychology and child development, then if that communication is broken, then that affects the child. And so it's almost like a bi-directional cyclical um, thing that happens. And so I would like to look at, so I look at how the emotionality and emotional communications happen with mothers raising multilingual children and my hope is to kind of find I don't think you'll ever find exactly because every family is different exactly where the breakdown could happen but to see what patterns there are where is the support most needed um, what are the feelings like is it is it a matter of just having an outlet of mothers being able to talk about these frustrations and know that it's normal um, and and that sort of thing so yeah so I look at both emotionality and emotional communications, specifically right now of mothers raising multilingual children. That's super interesting. It seems like I'm drawing a lot of parallels as I'm listening to you between the language maintenance piece and something like, you know, breastfeeding or where there's just so much pressure around it and it's, it's yeah. all on the mother um, and it's just one more thing to feel guilty about. <laughs> Absolutely. There's um, a research, um, I, I think it was uh, Fogel was, uh, I can send you this for show notes or something like that, if you'd like. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was this idea of the good, good mother and bad mother. And it was so like, it gives me kind of almost shivers just talking about it, where um, the mother's whole identity as a parent is taken into question and questioned, I guess, mm -hmm. by whether she's 
she's uh, passing on the heritage language and it can go both ways. So the extended family can say she's a bad mother because she's not teaching her child the mm -hmm. minority language. But then also, um, which I know happens all the time, you have you know healthcare professionals or education professionals that recommend stopping to speak the minority language, which of course is mm -hmm. a lack of education and bilingualism and that sort of thing. And then the mother continues and she's made to feel like a bad mother because you know, if the ha child has speech delays, which of course has nothing to do with the bilingualism, then she's made to feel that that if she continues, she's being a bad mother as well. So there's so many interesting things about that, about how the motherhood identity is so affected um, by by language. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it sounds like you're focusing on the mother more now, but we did want to ask if you feel like sometimes in our you know, desire to pass on a language to our children if sometimes we are pushing something on them that they don't want or somehow neglecting their feelings, if that's something that you've seen in your research that can be damaging to the child at all? Yeah, so that's a really, really good point. And I do, I am curious, I'm just collecting my final data now for um, the survey, the, que the questionnaire that I did, and I, I'm open to all, all, all ages of children, and I am really interested to see how older children, because older children obviously have a lot more input in family language policy, mm -hmm. they can be active participants in deciding what they want and how they want to, you know, and I think it's a very healthy thing, they should be, they're part of that family. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, so I haven't looked in it specifically, but I do think that that's a really good point and something that I would love to learn more about, especially the mothers that may have older children um, that are teenagers, for example, and, 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 you know, have decided they don't want to or that thing. I guess the caveat there would be um, sometimes, and I think I actually even said that in the article, if I remember correctly, in the article I wrote, sometimes children make decisions that, you know, you want to give them autonomy and you want to, you want to empower them and make sure that they feel like they can make the family decisions, but then will they potentially regret? Right. Because I think there was that family where the children stopped speaking um, the language and then later on we're asking the parents why they stopped and the parents said- No, oh, many, many adult too. speakers express that. There's absolutely, a lot of research on absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I think it has to be a balance. You know, if your child is, you know, you send your child up to, for example, a language school on the weekend and they're hating it and they're, you know, um, then I think you have to absolutely make sure because this is something that I look in my research, family cohesion and family relationships. It's not worth as, as wonderful as bilingualism is and as wonderful as language, it's not worth damaging that, you know, fundamental family relationship because somebody is pressuring or pushing something. I think you do have to find a balance, you know, you are the parent. And if it's something that's really, you think that will be beneficial and important, um, then you have that discussion with your child. And then of course, like you said, I think it also has to be, what are the reasons you're doing it? So is this something that has to do only with you and you are trying to please somebody else? Like for example, your own family, extended family, because you're worried about being looked as the bad mother, um, then absolutely you have to kind of figure out the reasons if this is something that you think that will be great for your child um get that yeah, virtual that therapist and talk through absolutely. that absolutely <laughs> yeah the child should yeah <laughs> for sure have a uh, have a say and hopefully um 
yeah, come to a conclusion together as a family that you can be happy with. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying right now, because um, in my personal experience, I've noticed that everything is easier when you get your kids to to experience things through peers. So like for us, it's always being making the sacrifice of going back home or yeah. or Spain to get that because he doesn't want to learn from me at this point. He wants to learn from friends that are the same age, right? Going to school there, going to summer camp. But also that puts a lot of pressure on you as a family because you're always sacrificing your holidays to do the same kind of thing, which can bring some conflict as well. So I, I think it's, it's important that we talk about this because uh, you're trying to do the best you can, but you're also affecting family dynamics in a way. And of course, some people can opt out of it, right? Like in my family, we just committed to this particular thing right now because this few years are key. We wanted to do that. Uh, but we know that it kind of sucks in a way, right? Because it's been years, we don't go to another country and do things that are different. And when we were students, there was just money for one trip a year. And that was the trip, right? <laughs> but uh, we, we haven't discussed yet in the podcast. And I just wanted to bring that up. And thank you so much for doing the research that you do, because yeah. it's another layer of complication. And you just said something, too, about right now. So it, it, it can absolutely change. And um, that's something that you know, we talk about with my participants too, like it doesn't have to, just because you're doing something right now, doesn't mean like exactly what you just said. It might change, it might evolve. Um, you know, it's very fluid. And I think people often forget that about language um, that it doesn't, you know, it, it's not gonna stay the same way forever. Um, and I always say receptive bilingualism is still bilingualism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if even as a child doesn't speak, it doesn't mean that they won't. Um, it, it, it's still bilingualism and, and absolutely it changes all the time. So since your kids are a little bit older than ours, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. a little bit more how they're feeling these days in a sort of cohesive way. <laughs> Could you tell us what you think your children's attitude towards bilingualism has been so far? Yeah, um, for the most part, positive. Like I said, my son, I find, is starting to be a bit more... Um, I can tell he's a bit worried that he's making mistakes. So, um, But we're working on it. So we're... Um, like I said, I try to encourage him no matter what code switch. You can absolutely, you know, especially talking to my parents on FaceTime. Um, you know, if you don't remember a word, try in Polish, but my parents understand English, so it's no problem. Um, so they're both, thankfully for now, again, absolutely might change. They're both quite positive about it. And my little one is quite great about it because um, she's much more... Um, conversation she talks and she loves just chatting with anybody and everybody so um she'll go in and ask for something at the polish store and that sort of thing so so far it seems to be okay again i mean sometimes i have to do i have to remind them quite a bit um but i don't think that's any way to do with a negative feeling towards polish is just again because english is just their dominant language and they it's easier for them for sure um so but i do we really talk about how all our friends speak another language we talk about my parents. Um, we have a lot of Polish books. And a big game changer for me recently was, not that we, we were doing this already a little bit, but if they get screen time, it's only in Polish. Mm -hmm. and actually, it's been fantastic. Um, and like I said, we were already doing a bit of this, but I think maybe because they're older now, a little bit older, um, they are saying things that they learn in the cartoons that I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> like expressions, fantastic expressions where I'm like, what does that mean? And then they explain to me. Um, so I think, and you know, kids love screen time. So I think mm -hmm. I'm like, let's do screen time in Polish. <laughs> and they're like, great. Yeah. Doesn't matter what language it's in. I love that. Amen. Yeah. 
So just to kind of sum up, what would be kind of your advice for mothers feeling alone or feeling resistance, feeling pressure? What would you recommend? So I think first and foremost, like with all parenting advice, I think you just have to be gentle with yourself and just, and again, easier said than done. Absolutely. I don't do this all the time, but you just have to be gentle in the sense of you're doing your best. Um, you know, you can only do so much. I do think that having support systems in place, whether that's, I mean, it's obviously quite hard at the moment, but whether that's play groups in a different language, um, you know, going to, uh, and again, it's harder if your language isn't, isn't predominant where you live. That's actually quite challenging. So um, easier said than done for a lot of people. But if you can get books in that language, again, TV programs, it'd be amazing if, you know, all our TV providers or our show providers would offer all the languages um, and that sort of thing. And then trying to get engaged with family members to FaceTime or to do that sort of thing, because I don't think you can do it alone mm-hmm. um, by any means. Um, and then I just think, you know, I always have a hard time, you know, with the saying that kids are sponges. We, I hear it so much, like, yeah. teach the language, kids are total sponges. And I'm like, well, no, it's actually a lot uh-huh. of work, and yeah. a lot of input. And I think if mothers know that this is absolutely normal, mm-hmm. and it actually does take work, kids are not just going to absorb it, mm-hmm. then maybe that would alleviate some of that pressure. I mean, in a way, I might add it, of course, too, but in the sense that it's absolutely normal to feel defeated and frustrated, um, but just to kind of see if you can find support systems, um, and I think we already talked about how if you are feeling awful all the time, then maybe kind of reassess, because mm-hmm. the family is much more important than the mother feeling horrible all the time, because she feels so pressure and so much anxiety. Um, and of course, it's always helpful if the partner um, can support it, whether, you know, they speak the language or not um, in whatever way. But like we already said, receptive bilingualism is still bilingualism. Language changes all the time. Um, and I think it's uh, just getting it out there that it's absolutely normal to feel frustrated. Yeah, that's I love all of that. And I've definitely uh, had similar thoughts about the kids are sponges. Totally, yeah. Makes it feel like. It's just, they're just going to imagine, be born speaking, you know, both languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is helpful. I mean, again, I don't think that it has to be done, but it is quite helpful um, for having a sort of plan in place. Um, right. I, to be fair, we didn't really talk about it with my partner, with my husband, but um, although I knew I always wanted to speak Polish, but it does, I mean, the research does say uh, that if you have a, a, a family language policy, your plan in place, it does help a little bit because you know kind of a little bit what you're going into so I have a quick follow-up question for you um do you have siblings no I don't I think that helps no I think that helps a lot because that probably helps keep the polish at home for you absolutely yeah totally I do ask so I do ask my mothers kind of what the siblings speak to one another um and of course my children speak English to each other however having said that I do think my daughter speaks more Polish than my son she's younger which I know is a bit of an anomaly Mm. to some degree because they say that usually the second or follow following siblings speak less because they're obviously exposed to another person speaking the dominant language or the majority language um but you're right I never thought about that about my my own experience um, my parents were really adamant. They ignored me if I spoke English. <laughs> that was their little tool. They, uh, I did not get away with it, with speaking English. 
at home. I mean, anything else that you wanted to add or talk about that we didn't ask you? Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, again, I think that, yeah, just, you know, I hate that word normalized because I feel like it's everywhere these days, but I do think <laughs> that it's something that we need to normalize to feel like that, that parents, mothers and fathers um, should know that it's absolutely normal. I mean, you're, you, you guys are probably on, um, you're both probably on um, the multilingual groups and I see it all the time, like on parenting groups. Mm -hmm. about, and it just breaks my heart when mothers say, I feel like such a failure, mm -hmm. I feel defeated. And um, I always try to write a quick comment about, you know, it's totally normal. I feel yeah. like we should have some sort of resort uh, attached to this podcast where all moms should go to every summer to get <laughs> to commiserate. Yeah. Yeah, you can speak sure. any language you want. It doesn't matter. You can. You don't have to think about bilingualism. Exactly. Yeah. Does he? Does he make you feel stressed out? If I ask you the, this question, I'm I'm curious. Yeah. You started teaching your kids how to read or write in Polish, and are you working on that, or how do you, how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, such a good question. Um, so yes, but very very slowly. So my mom was great in that she reminded me. She's like, you didn't really learn how to read in Polish till you're around eight. Um. So the long story of this, and actually my children are home educated right now. So this is a whole other part um, for a variety of reasons. Um, the UK system is quite different from the Canadian system and they push literacy really, really early. So they push literacy at four years old here, which I felt was, um, yeah, for a number of reasons. So we've been doing, um, I mean, my children go to outdoor education programs, but it's not a strict um, UK system school, um, which which actually has been quite helpful um, for the Polish because they've got more exposure to it. Um, so my son reads and writes, reads and writes in English um, quite confidently now, and so we've been trying to introduce um, the Polish alphabet. And um, uh, I'm lucky because the Polish alphabet there are extra letters, but it's quite phonetic, so it's actually a lot easier than English, to be honest. Because except for a certain, there are phonemes and there are certain things that are a little bit different, but it's actually um, not too tricky for some stuff. It seems like every language is easier than English. Everyone we talk to is like, my language is actually easier than English. Absolutely. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, why does the PH make an F, the F sound? Like, that makes them like, yeah. yeah. Once I've accepted all the yeah. randomness in English. Exactly. Accept anything. Literacy, it's you have a yeah. better chance yeah no, I so. feel like the more you know as us because we have studied this the more pressure we feel and the more guilt we have <laughs> well it's the pressure of being a linguist too like if you're a linguist and you mess this up like you're, you're a professional like, oh, failure too yeah like my child <laughs> studying bilingual, and my child isn't bilingual oh. yeah <laughs> well that's it for today thank you so much for joining us while Vina this was uh, an emotional but I think important conversation to have so we really appreciate you uh, being so honest and uh, sharing these important experiences with us and for everyone else we'll see you next time hasta luego Ciao.
ever have questions for us or questions about the podcast, go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and stay tuned for another episode of Multilingual Mamas.